Well, again, welcome to Redeeming Grace Church. Uh, my name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is always a joy to gather with you and lift our voices in praise uh, to our God. And I'm looking forward now to diving into his word. And so we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 today. And Julie's going to read our scripture text. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Let's pray. God of sunny days and rainy ones, God, you're so good and you're faithful. You are the rock of ages. You are our refuge. The Holy Spirit, we pray that as we open up your word now that you would reinforce that truth in our hearts and our minds today, in and through your word. Help us, God, to hide ourselves in thee. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I graduated from Virginia Tech about 19 years ago, uh, but I didn't start my college career out there. I actually spent two years at the University of Tennessee. I transferred to VT for two main reasons. One, there was a, a church there, a ministry there that I really felt like maybe the Lord was leading me to, uh, to serve in after I graduated from college. And secondly, I needed to go see about a girl. I didn't end up doing ministry there, but things with the girl worked out. <clears throat> now, I love both these schools, and I, I enjoy following them, thinking about them. So over the years when it comes to sports, I've been able to cheer both of them on. Now, they typically don't play each other, but every once in a while, every once in a while, there's a college football matchup between the Vols and the Hokies. And when that happens, I feel a divided allegiance. Like, I'll wear my tech hat and a Tennessee t-shirt. I want both of them to win. But at the end of the day, my divided allegiance over these two schools really doesn't matter that much because the outcome of that sporting event really doesn't matter that much. I mean, having a divided allegiance over sports teams is one thing, but having a divided allegiance in other areas of life can be a far more serious matter. We recently began a sermon series, a new series in the book of 1 John called Life Together. And the Apostle John is writing this letter, and he's writing it to a group of Christians, of followers of Jesus, who are struggling in life right now, and he's encouraging them to keep following Jesus, to continue to root themselves in Christ, to find their confidence and assurance in who Jesus is and what he's done, and to follow him, not in just parts of their life, but in every area of life. Last week, we saw that John encouraged us to remember who we are in Christ, and because of that, to love one another. To love our brothers and sisters, a theme that he's going to come back to again and again. This week, John calls us to not do something. He says, as we just heard read, do not love the world. Do not love the world. Now we'll get exactly and into exactly what that means here in a few moments. But here's the main reason why he says this. Here's the main reason why this matters. Because you can't have a divided allegiance as a follower of Jesus. You can't wear your hat for Team World and a t-shirt for Team God at the same time. Now, this short text has been really challenging for me this week. 
as I've been sitting in it and soaking in it, and I hope it will be for you as well, that the Spirit will use it in your life to help you throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. And by grace, to run the race that's set before you with your gaze, with your eyes fixed on your Savior. And listen, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, know that we are so glad, so thankful that you're here today. My hope for you is that as we spend this time together in God's word, that you will see that real life is found in Jesus alone. So let's dive into 1 John chapter 2 this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. So far, John has rooted his audience, he's rooted us in the gospel. He's encouraged us to keep following Jesus. He's challenged us to love one another and to do so because of our new identity in Christ. Because you're in Jesus, united with him, everything has changed for you. It now governs the way you think and the way that you interact with the world around you. And it impacts the way that you live. And it's because of your new identity in Christ that he's now calling you to not love the world. See, when you were rescued from your sin, when you became a follower of Jesus, if that's true for you, he didn't remove you out of the world. He left you in it. You remain in it currently. And because of that, there's challenges along the way. Because as we'll see, following the world and following Christ don't fit well together. So there can be challenges for us as we try to live out this new identity in the place we find ourselves in. So John gives us this command. And he gives us three reasons why we should follow this command, which really serve as our outline today. So let's start with the command. The beginning of verse 15. John writes, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, at first glance, this seems like a pretty simple statement, and because of that, it can be easy for us to do two things with this. One is to think we understand what John means and just move on from it. Great, don't love the world, got it. Second, we could assume it really isn't that applicable to us because we aren't doing what John says not to do. Don't love the world, I'm not, great, let's move on. But I don't want us to take it at face value, but to dig in a little bit deeper. I don't want us to assume, but to assess So let's start with making sure we understand what John is and isn't saying. When John says, do not love the world, he isn't talking about the created order, and he isn't talking about the people of the world. We know this because God created all things. He called everything into existence out of nothing and said it was very good. And we know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to rescue it. So when John says world here, he's talking about the attitudes and actions and worldviews that are opposed to God. The worldviews that say, this is how you should think about the world. Forget about what God says. This is what it should look like. He's talking about the systems and structures and values of the world that say self is the most important thing. Do whatever you need to do to satisfy whatever it is that you want to satisfy. He's talking about humanity organized in rebellion against God. Instead of God being at the center of our lives, it places us at the center of our life. What does he tell us not to do with those things? He says, don't love those things. Now to love is to choose to give your affections or attention to something. So it isn't about feelings. It isn't about emotion as much as it's about the orientation of your heart. It's about your allegiance. John's saying, when it comes to the world, don't be taken up by it. Don't be taken in by it. Don't be infatuated with its pretentious pomp and its empty promises of peace, of joy, of life. Don't give your allegiance and loyalty to the world. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things of the world. 
I mean, God gave us the ability to taste food. Like, that's a gift from the Lord. He could have given us food to eat just to keep us alive, but we actually get to enjoy it. He gave us a beautiful creation that we can go outside and we can enjoy and we can marvel at it and we can enjoy taking a hike or looking at a sunset or being with friends or other people. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, whether then you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can do everything to honor and glorify God. To not love the world, though, means that those things are not your primary pursuit. They're not your primary love. But here's where I don't want you to assume that this isn't relevant to you, but instead to assess your own heart and your own life. If you're a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, there can be a temptation to read something like this and to look around and think, yeah, that group over there, they need to pay attention to what John says here. They need to not love the world. Or maybe you can think, yeah, the world is a terrible place. I'm so glad I don't love it more than I love God. And it's true that lots of people do need to heed John's commands here, but it needs to start with us as individuals. That we would actually take time to assess our own heart, our own life, to take the plank out of our own eye before we seek to take the speck out of a brother or sister's eye. If you're not a Christian, you might think, well, so what? I mean, what's the big deal if I love the world and don't love God. Well, John gives us three reasons why this matters, three reasons that we can help us discern if we actually are loving the world more than God. And from that, we can also discern where our hearts might be oriented towards or drawn to. We see the first reason in the rest of verse 15. John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So this is a plain statement. Here's our number one, our first reason here. You can't love the world and God at the same time. You can't have a divided allegiance. But this might beg the question for us, why? why? Why can't I love the world and love God? Like I love God 80%, the world just 20%, the majority of it's with God. I mean, there's other things in our life that I split my allegiance between, right? I love Chick-fil-A and Five Guys. Right? Like there's nothing wrong with that. Why can't I do that with God and the world? Well, because that kind of love about food or sports teams or whatever it happens to be, those are about preferences, But John isn't talking about your preferences. He's talking about your heart. And your heart is where the motivational structure of your life resides. Out of your heart flows your will and your emotions, your attitudes and your actions. When you love something in the way that John's talking about, either the world or God, your heart is given to it in full. Can't be divided. This isn't about your feelings. It's about who you're following. Who the master of your life is. And the world and God are not only not similar things, but they lead you in competing directions. God says that we should value life from beginning to end, from the womb to the tomb. That we should value people as made in his image, no matter what they look like or where they're from, no matter how much they have or don't have. The world? No. Value people on what they can give you. God says that we should use our money and our resources to honor and glorify him. Saying, God, this is yours. It's not mine. I was talking to Freddie this morning about even things like a base and saying, this isn't mine. This is just mine to use for now. Eventually, it'll be somebody else's. I want to be a good steward of these resources. The world says, no, everything is about you. Get yours. Keep it. Build your life around it. God has told us what sexuality is meant to look like in a way that honors and glorifies him. The world rejects that. says, no, whatever makes you happy, whatever will please you. Because the world is opposed to God and his ways and vice versa, they cannot coexist 
in the heart of a person. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So John is calling you to not love the world because when you do, it pushes out love for God. And even if you say with your mouth that you love God, your life will show something different if you love the world. Well, John continues to show why this matters, this command matters, with a second reason in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, if we take out that middle section, we see again a plain statement of why not to love the world, because all that is in the world is not from the Father. Now, obviously, this isn't in a physical sense. God made the world. Again, he called it good. He's talking about this idea of a world, a a people that are in rebellion against him. And this threefold phrase in the middle gives us some more definition of what he means by loving the world. And, and I hope that it'll help you assess where might you be prone to wander? Where might you be loving the world instead of God? Talks about the desires of the flesh. The flesh is shorthand in scripture of talking about the old life, this old nature, the one we are born into this world with. A nature that is set on self and the personal satisfaction of our own appetites. The desires of the eyes. This is similar, but it's more about longingly looking at something. Maybe coveting what others have that you don't. It's fixing your gaze, literally of your eyes or your heart, fantasizing about something being yours. Not always a possession, it may be a life that you want. That you look at someone else's life and say, man, I wish I had a marriage like that. I wish I had a relationship like that. I wish I had those kids. I wish my kids acted like those kids. I wish I had that job. I wish I made that much money. I wish I could afford that kind of car, that kind of house, that kind of vacation. Whatever it happens to be. Then, John says, the pride of life. Some translations say, or possessions. This might be the most prevalent one here in Northern Virginia. This is about boasting in what one has or what one does. So also within this, there's a focus on self, but it's more about self-sufficiency and self-realization. Look what I have. Look what I do. I mean, hello, social media. So much of what gets posted online is an opportunity for people to like the things that we're doing because we're boasting in those things. Not always what it happens, but sometimes. It's this heart posture of independence, of self-importance. Look at me, look at me, look at me. All of this is about longing for things, pursuing things that promise you joy, that promise you satisfaction above God or apart from God or or in a way that that God did not design them to be enjoyed. Would that be food or drink, sex, rest, work, relationships? Within these three things John mentions, where might you be most tempted? The desires of the flesh or the eyes or the boastful pride of life? John gives us a third reason of why we should not love the world. We see this in the beginning of verse 17. He says, and the world is passing away along with its desires. This is significant. Why can't you love the world? Why shouldn't you love the world? Because all that's in the world is passing away. This life and all its things are temporary. It may appear permanent at times. We may want it to be permanent at times. And our culture certainly tells us that life, this life here, is permanent. 
Mark was telling me about a commercial he saw this week from T-Mobile. Did you know that you can upgrade your phone with T-Mobile forever? Forever. Like they're promising you can have the latest iPhone 345 version into eternity. That's forever. I guess we'll have good coverage in eternity. I don't know. But that's a ridiculous idea, right? We know that's silly. We know that that's not really true. There's no forever in the things of this world, but we can be tempted towards those things. We can be tempted to pursue that kind of life, to build a utopian society, or at least try to maintain what we have, to preserve it. That's deceptive because our world isn't on repeat. It's not cyclical. It's moving towards a conclusion. It's like a melting ice cream cone on a summer day. It can be enjoyed in the moment, but it's not going to last forever. Preservation of the temporary is a vain pursuit. Or in other words, there is no future in worldliness. But it's here that John gives us an alternative of hope and where we should root our lives. He reorients our heart away from a love that's divided. And we see this in the rest of verse 17. He says, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. This world is passing away and all its things are passing away. But you, you are an eternal being meant to be in a relationship with an eternal God. John wants that for you. He wants that for you now and forever. So John, throughout this letter, is seeking to reorient your heart away from a love that's divided to a love undivided, set fully on God. One pastor says, it is empty talk to say, I love God, but I don't love what God loves. But if you do love God, if your heart is set on him, you will love him and his will and his ways. And when you love God's will and ways, you are able to walk in obedience and in faithfulness to them. You're able to follow Jesus fully because you really do believe that he is better. And when you do that, you actually experience real joy and real life, even when this life can be challenging and difficult at times. But if we're honest with ourselves, too often we try to satisfy our thirst with the things of the world. But you know what trying to do that's like? It's like trying to sip salt water to satisfy your thirst. That's the lie of the enemy. You can be satisfied by drinking salt water, but that not only will not quench your thirst, it'll kill you. What John's calling you to is to not to pursue a godless life by setting your hearts on a godless world, but to pursue God. Listen, this is a a kind pastoral warning from John. This is discipleship here from John. John's saying to you, do not love the world because it doesn't end well. So if you're a Christian, you are not of this world, but you are in it. And we all have desires. It's a part of the way that God's created us and wired us, but those desires can get hijacked and twisted by the sin that remains. You and I have to remember that. We have to realize that there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on within us between our old self and our new self, our old flesh and the Holy Spirit. And if we aren't paying attention, if we aren't on guard, we can drift away from a love for God, not even realize it. You know, there are a lot of events that happen in the natural world that we can see their effects immediately, be it a hurricane or an earthquake or or a forest fire. But there's something that happens in the natural world that doesn't show us its effects immediately, and that's erosion. You can look at the way a river flows, the stream, how it goes, and it's taken years and years and years for that river to carve its way through the landscape. 
We can't see erosion happening right before our eyes in real time. It happens over a period of time slowly. And that's what's been most challenging to me this week as I've thought about this and tried to assess my own heart and my own life. I wasn't thinking so much about the glaring things in my life, which I'm sure there are some of those, but the subtle ones. Those things that over time might cause my love and affection for God to erode and be given over to something else. What might some of those things be for you? Maybe a good way to think about that is what does your mind and your heart gravitate towards the most in the quiet moments of life? What occupies your thoughts? And will you take some time this week to think on that? You take some time this week to pray and ask for the, the spirit to point those things out to you? John's exhortation here reminds me of a verse in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. Jeremiah is writing to God's people who are in rebellion, who are pursuing the ways of the world. And speaking on behalf of God, he says this. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. God's people were looking to be satisfied. They were looking to find life. And instead of finding it in God, the fountain of living water, they decided to pursue other things, things that the world promised to them. They carved out for themselves cisterns and trying to fill them up with the pleasures of the world, the promises of the world. But there's a problem. The cisterns don't work. They're broken. They're cracked. They're leaky. And that's the thing. When a cistern is broken, sometimes we don't see the effects. That leak isn't super obvious to us. It's often slow and goes unnoticed over time until there's no water left or the water level's dropped. That's what happens when we love the world, when we have a divided allegiance. It can happen slowly, but one thing is for sure, it will not satisfy you. So as you sit here today, why might you be prone to see your heart give allegiance and love to someone or something else other than God? One reason for some of you is that you're not yet a Christian not yet a follower of Jesus. You, when you were born into this world, you were born with a heart set against God and set on self. But you know what? You're here today. In God's providence and by his grace, he's brought you to be here today. He's at work in your life right now. And no one can make their heart love God. But man, there's good news. Jesus came to save you from your sin. He gave you to save you from your selfishness and where you've placed your love on something or someone else besides God. And he did so by dying on a cross in your place. And when you place your faith in him, Jesus promises to give you a new heart and make you a new creation. To replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh that now doesn't beat for self, but beats for God. Later on in Jeremiah, he writes, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So let me encourage you to seek God today, to ask him to save you and change you because of what Jesus did for you. Another reason that you might find yourself struggling to have a love for God over a love for the world is that your love has just grown cold. You are a follower of Jesus. You have a new heart. You, have a new, you are a new creation, but you've drifted. You're like a boat who's not anchored anymore. You're tossed to and fro on the waves of life, and slowly you've moved away from the coast of the gospel, the sure foundation of your identity in Jesus. If that's you, the Spirit's maybe even convicting you right now in this moment or in the future when you're tempted towards that, let me encourage you to also do what Jeremiah says. 
What he says is the same point that John's making here. Don't seek life. Don't seek joy in created things. They're all passing away. Seek it in God. Seek it with your whole heart. Love him and pursue him all in all of life because it's only in him that you can find joy and peace, real joy and real peace in real life because he's the only thing, the only one that lasts forever. John has given us a command here. And he's given us three reasons why we should follow it. So what do we do with that now? As we approach the week coming up and the month coming up and the end of this year, what do we actually do to see a love for God be the primary pursuit of our life? I mean, is this a call for us to try harder? To do better? Is this a call for you to go out and just exercise your will and your resolve? Like, all right, Monday, I'm going to love God better, more. I'm going to do do this in a, in a better way than I did last week. No, I don't think so. Loving God more than the world doesn't come about by thinking about the worthlessness of the world. It doesn't come about through making a bunch of rules and laws for your life. A text like this can easily be turned into a legalistic way. Let me check this box off. Let me make sure I don't cross this line. It doesn't come about from isolating from the world circling the wagons into huddles of Christian subculture. We say, let me just keep the world out. No, Jesus sent us out into the world to make much of him. This is about pursuit, about being on a journey with a heading that's set on God, not the world. So how do we do that? How do we set our heading on God? A pastor from a long time ago named Thomas Chalmers said this, the love of God And the love of the world are two affections, not merely in a state of rivalship, but in a state of enmity. And that so irreconcilable that they cannot dwell together in the same heart. The only way, the only way to dispossess it of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. In other words, we don't simply eliminate sinful desires. We don't simply eliminate divided allegiance and a love after the world. It has to be replaced by something better. So the first thing I want to encourage you to do as you think about your week ahead is to pursue new affections. Pursue new affections in Christ by setting your gaze on him. And the primary way we can do this is by having our minds and having our hearts renewed by God's word, by scripture. There are lots of texts that God has used over time in my life to help me see that Jesus really is better to lead me in repentance and faith, to turn away from sin and turn again to faith in Christ. But I just want to share one of them with you today that I hope will be helpful for you too. Colossians chapter three, verses one through five, Paul, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, he's talking about your identity, just like John. Seek then the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is who you are now. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. One day Jesus will come again and he'll make all things new, including you. But then Paul says this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Do you get what Paul's saying there? He's saying, set your gaze on Jesus, and because you set your gaze on Jesus, then you're able to put to death what's earthly in you. It's not out of your willpower. It's not out of your resolve. It's by setting your heart and your affections on Christ. 
Love for the world pushes out love for God, but so does love for God now push out love for the world when you look to Christ. Because when you look to him, you realize the temporariness of what is being offered to you. And when God's word has washed over me and I'm reminded and refreshed in the greatness of my God, I'm once again given the chance to see that Jesus really is better. I'm once again able to abide in him and to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I need to be rooted in these texts. I need to be reminded of these truths because in them, I'm reminded of who I am. In them, I'm reminded of whose I am, as Mark pointed out last week. So what scriptures help you? What parts of God's word do you need to come back to over and over again to be reminded of those realities? For some of you, you might need to redefine what love of God really is about. Love of God is not about your feelings or having warm fuzzies. It's about a new identity that leads you to a new allegiance. And what John is saying here is connected back to everything he's already said. You will struggle with sin but you have a qualified advocate in Jesus and a faithful God who will cleanse you from all unrighteousness when you confess it to him. In him, your sins are forgiven and in him, you have overcome the evil one. So run to him, fly to him like we just sang. Rest in his grace. He really is better. And listen, if you're not in God's word regularly, if it's not a part of your daily rhythms, your, your life for the sake of your heart, for the sake of your soul, I plead with you to make a plan to be. And if you're going, man, I, I don't know what that looks like. I'm not sure how to do that. Then ask somebody around you. It's why we exist in community together. And it leads to the second thing I want to draw our attention to. You can try to do this on your own, but you really shouldn't. God saved you as an individual, but he saved you into a community. So the second thing I want to encourage you to do in order to love God and not the world is to pursue community. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, the writer of Hebrews says, but exhort one another every day. That means encourage everyone, everyone, one, one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And sin is deceiving. And the enticements of the world, they're really alluring. So we need others to help us to see that. And help us to turn away from it and turn to Christ again. We need the encouragement from brothers and sisters to keep our eyes set on Jesus. We need the faith of others to build us up when it's lacking in our own lives. That's why it's important to gather every week as a church. To have our brothers and sisters around us singing in faith and confidence. Receiving God's word together. We need to be reminded that we're not in this alone. That Jesus really is better. So if you're not in community. And here's what I mean by that. If you don't have people around you who know you and love you well enough to gently call you to repentance and renewed faith when you need it, then let me implore you to seek that out immediately. And again, if you don't know what that looks like, how do I start to do that? How do I seek out community? Come talk to me afterwards. Any of our pastors or leaders, talk to a friend that you are here with today. What does it look like for you to actually pursue that? Listen, every heart loves something. It's how you were created. You long for something. What is that for you today? Who is that for you today? As we get ready to enter into a time of communion, we have the band go ahead and come back up. This time of communion where we'll be reminded of the riches of grace that we have in Jesus. I want us to begin by becoming, coming before God in a time of confession. 
that right now as you sit in your seat, that you'd confess before the Lord how and where you've loved the world more than God. And if you're not yet a Christian, may this be a time where you repent and place your faith in Jesus for the very first time. Listen, no matter where you are on your journey, the spiritual journey that we're on, all on, no matter where you're at currently, I want you just to take a few minutes right now to just be honest before God. Be honest before him about where your love and what your love has been set on. Just take a few moments to do that and then we'll enjoy communion together.